Welcome to the College Sports Insider presented by the NCAA and Champion Magazine. I'm Jack Ford. So, if you ever ask yourself a question when you see people being described as athletic conference commissioners or executive directors, and you've said to yourself, what does that mean? What do they actually do? Well, you've tuned into the right place because we're about to help you understand all of that. And we're delighted to be joined by Heather Benning, who's the Midwest Conference Executive Director, uh, to talk about all of that. Heather, welcome to you. Thank you, Jack. Um, let me start off with with the title first, right? And then I'm going to sort of bounce back to how you got involved in all of this in this world. But um, I described you as the Midwest Conference Executive Director. Some people might say, well, I thought they're called commissioners. Um, tell me, is there a difference and what does your title essentially mean? I don't think in my mind that there's a difference between commissioner and executive director. I think there was a movement, at least in Division Three. Um, before I accepted this role, where it seemed that a number of conferences were making that transition from commissioner to executive director. So I think it was more a standard in the industry at that point in time. Um, I know a number of my colleagues are both commissioner and executive director, and we almost use the term synonymously. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think in application, we are the lead administrator for athletic conferences. We'll get to then what that all means in a minute. But I'm always interested in how people got to where they are. All right. So let's start off with you. Um, Did you, as a young person, did you ever envision yourself involved in athletics and athletic administration? Or is that something that was kind of an evolution that you hadn't really anticipated? I think that from the time when I started to think about what I wanted to do professionally, I knew that I wanted to be involved in college sports. Um, That being said, my mother said I was not going to go to school to get a degree in PE. (laughs) (laughs) Mothers are like that, aren't they? Which Uh. was a good thing. Um, So I actually um, pursued what I would consider kind of a parallel um, career path, which was education. So I think um, being in college sports is about being in education. Um, Just took the more palatable route for Mm -hmm. my mother. uh, (laughs) And... uh, pursued a degree in education. I uh, was going to do secondary education, math and history. Mm-hmm. And uh, just, Interesting combination, yeah. <laughs> math and history. How, how did you, I'm, I'm just curious. I, I mean, I was a history major in college and I, I never took a math course. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed to say in four years of college, I was at Yale at a time when they, they were not sort of giving us these distributional requirements. So I was a history major and kind of skated through with that. What, what gets you to, to math and history? I think two things. One, I had a passion for both of those subjects. Um, and two, something that I relate to what I do right now is just marketability. I thought as, as a teacher, the more subjects that you were versed in uh, being able to lead, um, the more likely you were to land a job. I also knew as a female, there weren't a lot of math teachers. So I also thought that was an increased opportunity for employment. Uh, I also, I said, I just, I love math and I think it's one of those things in my experiences that middle school students kind of hit that moment in time and they either love it or they hate it. And I was fortunate to have- And good teachers can help them understand why they should love it. Exactly. Um, And I was fortunate to have several good teachers and and wanted to potentially provide that for my students in the future. So. All right. So, so you're focusing on history and math through college. Then what do you do? I, um- I've had an unexpected turn in my undergraduate experience, and I ended up transferring 
I think what most people would consider fairly late in your college career. So it was after my junior year of eligibility. Um, but the institution that I transferred to required two years in residence. So I found myself in that fifth year of undergraduate education uh, not being eligible to play sports. Um, so therefore, I stepped in in my first capacity mm-hmm. as a coach and was an assistant coach while I was finishing my fifth year of college. Talk, and, talk about, let me jump back for a second. Talk about your own athletic career in, 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 in playing sports and what drew you to it. So I grew up playing multiple sports all through high school. I did volleyball, cross country, soccer, softball, uh, a little bit of everything. Uh, And I knew that for college that I was going to focus on soccer. And so I ended up going to a Division III institution uh, in Iowa uh, to play soccer. And I did play basketball, although I think that was just a, uh, <laughs> getting recruited for athleticism. I think yeah. I was I was more of a practice player than anything. But it, that um, is one of one of the the great aspects of Division three that you can do more than one sport. Absolutely, absolutely. So played soccer, um, Division three, and uh, just um, just for reasons, um, really just trying to challenge myself. Wanted the opportunity to go to a different institution um, and be challenged athletically and academically um, at that point in time. And, and so made the decision to transfer, like I said, mm-hmm. fairly late and very atypical for my personality. <laughs> but it actually served to be the catapult into the profession that I'm in now. So, yeah. so what, what then drew you to the, the coaching element here? I think it was just a matter of circumstance that, mm-hmm. again, I didn't have NCAA eligibility remaining. Mm-hmm. And I was still enrolled at my undergraduate institution. Um, at that time, I think Division Three now is transitioning away from this more. But oftentimes, assistant coaches were just sal- or stipend mm-hmm. seasonal uh, employees. And given where my institution was, uh, it was a fair fairly rural area where soccer wasn't as developed. Uh, and so it was difficult to find kind of experts in that field for the head coach. And so um, in many of the sports, the institution, if there was a fifth year senior, um, oftentimes they might turn to that individual yeah. to help the program out while they're there in residence. And so that's what I ended up doing. Uh, and then after graduating, I enrolled at the University of Iowa um, sports administration program. So I was able to continue on in my role as an assistant coach for two more years. So I ended up serving my alma mater as the assistant soccer coach for three years. Yeah. And and I think it's always interesting for especially young people when you, you say to them, you know, be alert for what's around the corner. You know, it could be an accidental type of thing. You know, I, I, I in my own story, I was a lawyer trying cases and then literally accidentally stumbled into the world of journalism. And it sounds as if for you, I mean, certainly it, it, it wasn't a, a, com- a, a complete removal from what you've been doing. You've been an athlete all of your life. But the idea of, okay, I'm in a different place. I don't have eligibility, so what can I do? Mm-hmm. And, well, you know, maybe I'll do some coaching. Um, what do you tell young people when you tell that story to them about how it happened to you and what they should be aware of in their own lives? I think the biggest message for me is somewhat what you just hit on is mm-hmm. some of it's going to be coincidental, but also some of it's about seeking opportunity no matter how small the window opening is. So I did that position for three years, getting paid less than $5,000 a year to do it. But um, I knew in the back of my mind that that kind of had been my initial goal when I went off to college. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so this might be my route back into it. Um, and so I think this the biggest takeaway is, is to be looking for um, creative opportunities. 
um, if if the kind of full picture opportunity isn't presenting itself, you might have to come in the back door or you may have to piece things together to create that resume um, so that you can get the front door opportunity. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is just taking advantage of, of the smallest opening um, to maximize what you can contribute. Tell me then how you got from there now to the position you're currently in. I think that uh, in my time in undergraduate school, I learned more about what it means to be a college coach. And so I started to observe the fact that, at least at the institutions I was at, that the coaches were also educators. And so it started to dovetail these two pieces together, this idea that I wanted to be an educator, but I also wanted to be involved as a coach. And so noting that and having that first year experience as an assistant coach at my alma mater, um, it became clear to me that if I wanted to pursue this path, I needed to get a second degree. And that's when I applied to the University of Iowa to be part of their sports administration program. It was very well known, um, particularly at that time, Christine Grant was still at the University of Iowa. Um, and so doing that was an intentional move to try to make myself more marketable, um, to stay in college sport and to be not only a coach, but also potentially be a member of the faculty in a PE department. And then how did that work out for you? What was the next position yeah, in, just, in, in uh, this progression for you? Yeah, just dumb luck in some <laughs> ways, I think. Um, as I said, I, I was in that position for three years. And in the in the middle of my third year, as I was wrapping up my master's degree, uh, the head coaching position um, at my institution opened. And mm-hmm. it was a faculty position, so you mm-hmm. needed to have your terminal degree. And uh, so I moved forward and applied mm-hmm. for it and mm-hmm. ultimately was the assistant was the successful candidate. Uh, And so I stepped into a role of being Mm -hmm. the head coach. Uh, At that time, we also had a second sport responsibility. So I started Mm -hmm. coaching track and field uh, and was a member of the faculty. You had great success there. Um, And I assumed that you enjoyed it since you stayed there. Mm -hmm. And and then you you made this move. What was it that prompted you to say, all right, I'm, I'm in an area here now where it's, I'm sure I'm comfortable. Um, I, I, I've had good success. Uh, it's a great environment to be in, but maybe it's time to try something a little bit different. I think that for a number of coaches, you find yourself asking, how long will I continue to coach? Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I had those role models who retired coaching, um, but I also had role models who had been in coaching and had made the transition to athletic administration. I have a couple colleagues that made the transition to athletic administration then came back to coaching. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I was fairly certain that I did not want to retire on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was very realistic that uh, I'd be working at least 40 years, and that seemed like a long time to be doing one thing. Uh, and so I knew in the back of my mind at some point I wanted to transition into athletic administration. What happened in my time at Grinnell is that every three to five years I had the opportunity to move forward professionally. So whether that was getting a promotion from assistant professor to associate professor, whether that was um, accepting the designation of a senior woman administrator, being an assistant athletic director, stepping in as interim AD. It just every three to five years, I always had mm-hmm. something um, that challenged me and moved me forward professionally. And, and that was very intentional because I wasn't ready to give up coaching, but that also satisfied my hunger for mm-hmm. being in the administrative seat. 
And I think that as I got to closing in on 20 years as being the coach at Grinnell, um, I was getting to a place where I knew I was ready to step away from coaching. And I think as a coach, um, the goal is to go out on the top. Um, we'd had a lot of success, as you spoke about. Been to the NCAAs a couple years in a row. Um, I knew that we had the cabinets full, which sometimes is harder to walk away from because oh, I would you imagine. have those it's allegiances a lot easier if you're thinking, also... huh, I'm not so sure what we have <laughs> left here in the tank, right. so maybe it's time for me to move on. Yeah, but the, the cupboards were full. We had a good recruiting class. It is my alma mater, so mm-hmm. I, I do have a vested interest in ensuring the success of the program even after I was no longer there. Um, and so I, I felt professionally like I was ready to move forward. I wasn't sure what that looked like. I never thought about being a commissioner or an executive director of a conference. Um, But my predecessor and a good friend of mine, Chris Graham, who was the previous commissioner of the Midwest Conference, encouraged me to apply when he was taking a new position um, in Division II at the RMAC. And at first I said, no way. <laughs> I don't want to be a conference commissioner. Why not? Why, why, would you, why was your initial reaction that, no, I don't think I want to do that? What, what was it about it that created that hesitation? I think part of it was just stepping away from a campus. Um, and, and not that, um, I guess... For me, I actually do function very well um, working independently. It wasn't so much about the interactions. It was just more of an unknown. Like I had only ever been in the academy. Mm-hmm. And so I just – it just seemed very foreign to me in some ways. Um, and I just honestly had never considered it. And it was one of those things – I don't know if you've ever had those times where in the middle of the night you wake up and you start chewing on something. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought this might be the exact opportunity that I need at this point in my career. And a couple of the key things that I was thinking about um, – one is that I had visions of being a director of athletics – But I also knew that having been at one institution, um, although I had accomplished a lot there, it was one of 450-plus Division III schools. And my paradigm was very narrow about what it meant to be in Division III. So, again, going back to marketability, um, if I'm a conference commissioner, now I get familiar with nine other institutions and – we're alike in many ways in mission, but we're also very diverse. And so there's things I learned about institutions that were not like my alma mater. Um, I also knew that despite all the administrative opportunities I had while I was at Grinnell, I still um, wasn't at that senior administrator level and um, that this opportunity would provide me access and um, accountability to 10 presidents and to build relationship with 10 presidents. Um, would be an excellent professional challenge for me, but also be a great um, resource for me if I did ultimately decide to interview to go back to a campus. Um, There were just a number of things. Uh, I had opportunities as an interim AD to have sport oversight of of different sports, but now I have 20 sports that I'm accountable to. (laughs) So just the more I thought about it, um, the more I thought, you know what, this this might be a really great next step and fill some professional gaps that I feel like I have in my resume. Um, And quite honestly, it was an opportunity to move forward professionally and not relocate my family. Mm -hmm. And at the time, having 
a middle school student and a high school student, that was very important to me. And so uh, as a professional wrestling with wanting to move forward um, in your in your career, but also wanting to respect the wishes of your family, um, that can be difficult. So this seemed like the perfect fit uh, that I could do both. <laughs> Let me ask you about. I want to ask you about your both your expectations coming into the position, and then what you found to be realities. All right. So let's start with expectations. Walking into the office the first day, talk a little bit about what your expectations were. Now that you were in this this position as a commissioner, executive director of of a conference. No, I don't know that I had them. Probably <laughs> <laughs> not a bad honest, idea. No, probably not I, a bad I way honestly, to go into something like that. I honestly don't think that I. I think that if if there were things that I was sure mm-hmm. were the responsibility of the conference office, I was sure that they were in charge of our championships and tournaments, mm-hmm. and I was sure that they were in charge of compliance or at least helping our institutions with compliance. And I think those were the two things I was certain about. Mm-hmm. Um, and beyond that, it really was going in blind um, and trying to figure out what the priorities were going to be. Uh, talking with my fellow commissioners, this is one thing that I think we've all um, experienced. For me, it was new because I've only been in the role now for four years. For some of them, it's just been the changing of the times. But one of the things I, I never thought that would be taking so much time um, are those issues around risk management, um, times you wish you had a background in law or at least legal language to try to understand um, liability and culpability and mitigating circumstances and aggravating circumstances. <laughs> that 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 I never thought that I would be doing. And uh, it's been interesting talking to my colleagues of people considering getting masters in legal studies just to be versed in that space because it's not something it, that we ever anticipated. It, we'd my guess would know. be if you were going 10, 20 years back. Mm-hmm. Your responsibilities in this position, I would think, would be dramatically different from what they are now. Is that a, is that a fair statement? You think? Absolutely. In, in what way? Give me a sense again yeah. for somebody who doesn't know the types of things you're you're dealing with on an everyday basis, mm-hmm. and then we can talk about how they might have changed. I think that the concept or the the position of a commissioner for Division Three, um, it, it is relatively new. Um, you know, I think you go back 25 years ago, and most conferences did not have a full-time commissioner. It might be a um, stipend position, again, that uh, a campus SID received mm-hmm. some funding to put together um, press releases about the, the league or to promote the championships and tournaments, um, do all-conference, academic all-conference. Very um, parallel, I think, to campus sports information work 25 years ago and then just at the conference level. So don't just promote your institution, but now their responsibilities are to promote those 10, 12 institutions that are a member of the conference. Um, and you know, if I go back historically in our documents for the conference, that's where the budget was too. <laughs> the budget's paid for awards. Right. Um, that was pretty much budget, it. That was pretty much it. And then as, as conferences have evolved and uh, institutions are expecting more to come from their uh, membership with these now organizations and associations that are incorporated, um, there's expectations beyond just being a sports information arm 
for those 10 institutions. And it's not just about affording access to a championship or a tournament. It's about the championship and tournament environment, um, what enhancements we're doing there. It's about the officiating and the quality of the officials. It's um, spectator management. Um, it's education and programming. We spend a lot of time doing education and programming for our member institutions. Um, we were just talking earlier about the Sports Science Institute and you know how does what's coming out of SSI get communicated and funneled down to the institutions and who's doing the education around that and the programming. Those now fall heavily on the conference offices. How do you how do you think? Again, you've been in, in this position for four years now, and you talked about how dramatically it's changed from like twenty twenty five years down the road. How do you think it's going to change during the course of your tenure? Do you have any sort of vision as to where you see it going? Uh, how your responsibilities would change? I think that we're in the middle of that. I think that you see a number of conference offices growing in staff. Um, again, you go back two decades. There may have been one full-time person or near full-time person. Um, most Division three conferences now are at two full-time, and there's several that are moving to three full-time. And I think what's coming with that is differentiation of responsibilities. So again, rather than just having your commissioner and executive director be responsible for sports information, championships, compliance, education, you now are seeing very similar to what you have on campus with your administrative team where you have your director of athletics, which would be like the commissioner or executive director, and then you have your assistant ADs or associate ADs, and now you have assistant executive directors or assistant commissioner, and they're responsible for marketing and promotions, assistant executive director for compliance and eligibility, or assistant director for communications. Uh, so I think, you know, we're seeing much um, like we have seen in Division Three institutions, a growing of the administrative staff. I think that so long as the membership services um, expectations continue on the current trajectory, we're going to see a need for the conference office to parallel that. Maybe not quite to the same extent, um, but certainly, you know, growing to conference office staffs of, of three people. Are, are there one or two areas that seem to take up most of your time? If you had to delineate your, your time division, or is it just a matter of there are so many things, as you've listed for us, um, that there's not one or two that monopolize it? I don't think for me that there, there are one or two areas that monopolize my time. Um, part of that is how we've built our staff in the Midwest Conference. So I do have uh, an assistant whose responsibilities are championships and external operations. Um, that does take a significant amount of time. It's why we have a single position devoted to helping our institutions prepare for those events, working with our vendors, working with our third party um, vendors for contracts, for facilities and things like that. So th that does take a lot of time out of conference offices. Um, it's not something right now that I'm doing the bulk of the work with. Um, and then same as for our website content management and what we're producing um, for publicity. That's for another uh, member of our staff. Um, 
that being said, I think that the the things that turn into all-consuming <laughs> activities <laughs> um, tend to more often be around compliance issues. It's that mm-hmm. every once in a while where you have something come up and and um, is that is that change is is that fairly new that compliance has slipped into that that slot that takes up so much of of your time. I don't, I don't know that it's new, mm-hmm. um, and it's not so much the compliance education as when some, when it, at a point in time that maybe the education wasn't as thorough as it needed to be or the checks and balances on a campus weren't as strong as they needed to be um, or just sometimes there's just a miss um, with that. But the response almost needs to be immediate because you're dealing with eligibility, you're dealing with impending or um contests. And so the response means you need to be all in so that you can get that resolved as quickly as possible for the student athlete, for their team, for the conference itself. Um, And so those are the harder ones because you can't plan for them. Um, And certainly I'm sure there's parallel things that come up on campuses where all of a sudden everybody just needs to be all hands on deck. It just is amplified in the conference office again. If you only have a staff of two um, or we have three right now with an intern position, um, you have no release valve. So that means you're you're in (laughs) and and you're in until it's resolved. Mm -hmm. And so I'd say, you know, those you you don't plan for, but when they happen, it's 24-7 until you get to the back end of it. Last question for you. You, you talked about sort of it, you being in the midst of change, what it used to look like. If you were to try to look down the road 10 years from now, still in your same position, do you think that, that the, the landscape of Division Three athletics in general and the landscape of your conference, Midwest Conference in particular, will look any different? I definitely think the landscape is shifting right now. It seems that we, in Division Three, there there are a lot of trimmers. Uh, if you follow what's going on mm-hmm. in New England and Mid Atlantic, there's a lot of shuffling of conference affiliation of schools. Um, it's tied very closely to what's going on in higher education right now, which is um, trying to justify the cost of higher education to families and having students enroll. And, and we continue to have declining enrollments, and we have more small institutions closing their doors, and that has an impact on athletic conferences. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the goal for one of the goals for Division Three conferences to make sure you maintain that minimum seven-member institution so that you can have access to the NCAAQ and championships. So I think I think the landscape is changing right now, and I don't know that most of us know where we're going to come out on a, with regard to higher education and where the role of um, liberal arts, uh, private institutions will fall in that. And, and that is a large portion of the Division III um, pie. And so I think that certainly is going to impact um, what Division Three looks like in the future, as it already is doing um, for many of our regions. For the region um, in which my conference is located in the Midwest, um, there seems to be a lot more stability. Uh, just uh, there aren't as many institutions. So I think that as far as access to students for enrollment, um, we, we may not be as volatile as some of the smaller schools in different regions of the country. Um, you still are seeing a little bit of shifting, but not to the extent you see in New England and the Mid-Atlantic. 
Um, my hope is that our conference will be relatively stable. Uh, we're coming up actually on our 100th anniversary, mm -hmm. and uh, we still have seven charter members of our conference as current members. So um, there's a lot of stability with our group. Um, so I hope that that maintains itself as we move forward. Um, one of the unique pieces for our athletic conference is that it was initially founded as an academic conference by faculty athletic reps. Um, eight of our ten institutions are part of an academic consortium. So we have ties that bind us together yeah. beyond just sport. So I think that has been a, a strength for us uh, in many ways that sometimes um, conferences are trying to I, figure out what their identity is, and we have somewhat of an inherent identity, um, not to the exclusion of the two schools that aren't part of that academic consortium, certainly. They've been great members for, for many, many decades, and so I think the group has just embraced them as, as just one more of us. We talk about the Midwest Conference when we talk about our sport identity, and it just seems to be relatively stable. So uh, I would hope for, for our league that that sustains itself um, but I, I do think that it's going to change nationally as we see more institutions close their doors or have to prioritize where they're spending their dollars, um, and whether that be athletics to sustain enrollment or whether mm -hmm. that be um, changing the types of degrees that you're offering to be more pre-professional, um, career-ready degrees as opposed to the classics and humanities. Mm -hmm. um, so... We'll It'll be to, interesting to we'll see. We'll see where we get. Well, the Midwest Conference, I think, it's, it's, it's a, it is a fascinating story, mm -hmm. and it's one of the great success stories, I think, the notion of these schools bound together for so long by these shared visions and mm -hmm. shared missions and shared interests, and you're doing a marvelous job running it. Heather, thank you for spending some time with us. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. Oh, it's our pleasure. That does it for this edition of the College Sports Insider. Again, want to thank Heather Benning for spending some time with us here. Want to spend all thank all of you for spending some time with us here. We'll look forward to talking with you again real soon. I'm Jack Ford. Take care.